Welcome to The Leaders We Need. I'm your host, Joel Harder. Today's episode features a conversation with Charles McCall, Speaker of the Oklahoma House of Representatives. The Speaker of the House is a unique leadership position in the Oklahoma State Capitol and the policymaking arena. It is a dynamic and multifaceted leadership role. The Speaker navigates the complexity of leading the majority caucus, working with the leaders and members of the minority party, add to that, navigating the negotiation process with the state senate and the governor. In this conversation, we're also going to get the speaker's take on the wrap-up of the 2020 legislative session and the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the session and across the state. But remember, the conversations you hear on the leaders we need go beyond the politics, policies, and power dynamics to focus on the people serving in significant leadership positions. Charles McCall is a third-generation businessman and the CEO of Ameristate Bank, a family-owned bank based in Atoka, Oklahoma. We discuss his experience growing up in Atoka, joining the family business, and how he first began serving his community on the city council and then as mayor. Speaker McCall shares his personal history and the experiences that made the greatest impact on his leadership with us. And what really struck me most in the speaker's story is the power of personal relationship, taking time to really listen, learn, and serve the people in his community. Each position of elected leadership in his life came from the people around him who saw in him the strengths that he had and encouraged him to run for office. All along the way, Speaker McCall keeps the priority of personal relationship at the center of his leadership, and we talked about how he is working to cultivate a positive culture across the whole House of Representatives. Well, let's get to the conversation with Charles McCall, Speaker of the Oklahoma House of Representatives. This is The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast going beyond the politics and policies to focus on the people who lead in our communities, states, and nation. Conversations that restore the civility we need in our politics while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a resource from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Well, Mr. Speaker, I am so thankful to be able to be in the beautiful town of Atoka and see where you live and work and lead in your community and get to share a great meal together. And so thank you so much for your time and for sharing some of your experiences on the leaders we need. Well, hey, Joe, thank you for being here. It's uh, it's uh, an honor to have you here in Atoka. This is the, the city where I've spent my whole life mm-hmm. and grew up and and still reside, and um, there's a lot of great people here, and I'm glad to uh, have the opportunity to sh- showcase our city a little bit and our county and, and some of the people here. So mm-hmm. thank you for come, making the, the trip down from Oklahoma City to be here. Well, after that chicken fried steak, I'll come every week. <laughs> <laughs> I'll buy every time. Come, come back and visit us. Yeah. So, you know, at the time we're recording this, about middle of July, Obviously, the legislative session was greatly impacted with the arrival of the COVID-19 pandemic in the state of Oklahoma, and, and now we're, we're many months down the road. I'm just first and foremost curious just to, one, just check in on the McCalls. You know, how are you doing in the midst of this unprecedented 
situation in our state and our nation? And how, how have you seen this pandemic affect your community? Well, thank you. And, you know, it's um, obviously the, the, the pandemic has affected everybody, some shape or form, um, just your daily life and your routines and the uncertainty with COVID uh, medically. It's, you know, f- fairly new to the world. Um, it's on all four corners of the world now. And, and so there's been some, you know, some adjustments. So I, I will say it's, it's really, it's really been great to, uh, we've seen a, a big plus to living, you know, in a small town, a small populated county, um, just because we have a lot of space and, um, the spread here has not been uh, difficult to deal with, uh, because of that. And we're exercising the same common sense, uh, you know, protocols and uh, trying to keep, you know, our friends and neighbors uh, to do our part to be safe and and to help those that do get, you know, are affected, either their business or them personally with their health. But, I, you know, I f- feel like we're learning more about this and um, and we're uh, we're going to get through it. And, you know, but for now, it is it is new. When we when we started the legislative session this year, uh, Joel, I would have told you healthcare would have been one of the the top issue that we were going to discuss. It wasn't COVID nineteen, um, but that's what it turned into be. It was I thought we'd be f- focusing on a comprehensive healthcare uh, policy for the state of Oklahoma, and what uh, what actually materialized was dealing in. Operating within a with a, a pandemic that we knew very little about. Yeah, what's been the biggest impact on your family? The well, the the good side of it is we've we've um, we've got to spend a lot more time together, you know, since um, than we normally do during that time of the year. I have uh, one son that's in college at the University of Oklahoma. Another, my other son is. Uh, is now going to be a senior in high school, and uh, so we were all all home together, and that's you know some that's that's a rare occasion, and so very much enjoyed that. Um, on the negative side, it's just the you want to be able to get out and and uh, see your friends and and uh, go do things, and uh, you know even members of the family. Uh, my father, he's. You know, he's well into his 70s, and you have concerns about family members that have uh, that are part of that high-risk group. So um, we've adjusted, and we've made it work, and uh, we've, we've certainly f- uh, worked here at our family's business to make sure our customers and our, and our uh, employees are able to, to cope and, and manage things, too. I'm glad you shared that about your father because— I- I think a lot of people are in that situation, and and it's it's almost something we all kind of know because so many families are in the situation. But you also don't necessarily, at least I haven't, heard a lot of the stories about that. The way you you as a family are more mindful of elderly or elder members of your family. I have two grandmothers still living, both in their nineties, and they are in assisted living centers and, for all intents and purposes, completely isolated. We're th- thankful to have, um, you know, we still have been able to interact through um, through telephone and video conference, and so those things have 
have helped in the situation. But I think we're learning more about this this pandemic virus, and I'm quite certain our we will all prevail and we will get through it. And but it's it's something that is front and center in our in our society and even in the in the community that I live in of 3,000 people. I want to reflect on the session a little bit. It, it wrapped up now a few months ago. Obviously, greatly impacted and a lot of adjustment to the legislative agenda and the maybe the goals that you had for the session. I would just love to get some of your general thoughts just on how it wrapped up and some maybe some high points of of what was accomplished in the session. Mm-hmm. Just some of your reflections on how things went. Well, thank uh, thank you for the question, Joe. I'll be happy to talk about it. And, and for those you know uh, listening, um, we are you know a legislative cycle for us at the Capitol is is two years. And so last year in 2019 was the beginning of the 57th legislature. And it was a really historic session, a lot of things accomplished. We had strong state revenues. We were able to address a lot of uh, needed areas of the, of the state, whether it's health care, whether it's uh, education, roads, bridges, et cetera. When we came back in this past February, leading up to that for the last half of the 57th, you know, I thought we would have picked up right where. Uh, we were left off the previous year. Things looked just as strong. And, um, and you know, looking back now over those, those uh, four months, uh, it's a good lesson. Don't, don't assume that anything will be the, be the same or, or just as, as you think it will be going in. But, you know, COVID changed, changed everything. It changed the processes, changed our ability, um, how we functioned. Um, as a government. And we have to, no matter what the situation, we have to adhere to the state's constitution. We have to operate within those directives and those guidelines. And under our state's constitution, we can only, we can only be in session four months out of the year um, in the constitutional session. That's from February to, to May. And so we really had an issue this year with, with the pandemic. We had to suspend um, gathering at the Capitol uh, for a number of weeks. Um, and we had to come up with protocols and uh, processes that would allow us to, to finish and uh, conduct the work that we're required to by the Constitution. First and foremost is set a budget for the state of Oklahoma each year. That is the top and the only constitutional thing that the legislature has to get done. Uh, Policy is a process. It can get done. It can wait. Um, But COVID uh, uh, really forced us to change a lot of that up. I'm very happy, um, you know, crisis uh, creates a situation of either synergy um, or chaos. And, uh, and I think you saw, I think there's evidence of the two anywhere you look with respect to, to COVID. Within the House of Representatives and within the legislature, um, I think there was a, quite a bit of uh, synergy that was accomplished. Both members of the majority uh, 
Republican Party and the minority Democratic Party came together to to uh, to agree on protocols to uh, that we could continue our session, get the budget done, and get the absolute uh, critical policy uh, completed within the constitutional timeline. And we were able to do that. Um, but there's so many implications from COVID. Uh, we wrote, rewrote the budget or, or wrote the budget three times this year. First off, the number certified by the Board of Equalization in February. And then they were um, basically revised two other times because we saw the impact of COVID was when the, the economy um, started to close, uh, slow down, uh, state revenues began to slow, and then the forecast changed. So uh, we ultimately ended up with the best forecast estimate out of the Board of Equalization and the Tax Commission. Uh, the first estimate was, on, was, was flat and maybe off $90 million from the previous year. Out of, in the previous year's budget was about $8 billion. So $90 million in comparison to $8 billion is relatively small. By the time, by late session, the revised forecast was down $1.4 billion. And to give you some perspective on that, that's the, that's the biggest contraction of, that's bigger than any one-year contraction that we saw in the, from the 2015 or 14 through 17 years where we had that four-year contraction. So I'm lucky for the, you know, fortunate for the state and the people of the state. We had restored reserves of the state to a high watermark, and we were able to stabilize the, the budget for this year uh, going forward. But I appreciate everybody in the House coming together to, um, we had to work together to, to make, to get it done in a very short period of time. I love that comment. Crisis creates either synergy or chaos. Yeah. You know, so many people are listening to this podcast or turning on the television and they're getting introduced to uh, Representative Charles McCall, Speaker of the House. And that's how they that's how they know you. That's how they're introduced to you. But it's so important to remember that our leaders hold very real positions of authority and there's real power and there's real influence that you have to do a lot of good. But you are people serving in those positions. And so I just would love to hear a little bit more of your story, this process of becoming a leader and growing as a leader and ultimately now serving as the leader of the Oklahoma House of Representatives. What led you to run for office in the first place? I never had um, on my list of things to try to achieve in life. This was never on it. Um, I was... I. This path and where I find myself now is uh, was at the um, at the request of people that in my community. Um, I had and it started with it's it started with public service at the municipal level, you know, the city council, um, Atoka City Council for a year, and then uh, mayor of the city of Atoka for seven years, and of of which I really didn't want to pursue. But it was the people in the community that said, we, we really think you would be good to lead and help our community and our county. And 
Uh, we would like you to consider that. And, um, and as I've shared off podcast with you, uh, Joe, over lunch, you know, it was, I'm in a, my family's been in a community, you know, the country community bank setting for, you know, I'm, I'm a third generation uh, banker and it's all about relationships and, you know, if your community does well, you do you do okay. If your customers and your community do poorly, you're going to do poorly. That's just how how the economics uh, work. And so there's a you know you're always interested in seeing others do well and your community doing well because that everybody you know has the opportunity to improve in in those situations. Um, but it was you know it was conveyed to me or you know early on when I came out of college that, hey, your, your work, you know, all of everybody that works in the community's bank, you know, helps to get out there and provide some leadership for the community. And at the encouragement of others is, is, is what compelled me to, to seek the office. It wasn't because I thought it would, you know, I didn't, it was not because I didn't have anything else to do. Yeah. <laughs> it, and, um, and I think that's, I think, you know, looking back, I think that's a good, that's a good reason. Um, you know, others um, wanting you to do it. Um, and the one thing that I've learned, whether it's been a, an experience, whether it's municipal government or state government, um, or even local civic organizations uh, leading those, um, what, if you, if people, know you and they and they trust you you can be effective and but if you ever lose the trust of the people it's so difficult to get it back and it's it's just better to be honest with people even when even when the the news or the message is what they don't want to hear it's it's better just to be honest and candid about it and and talk about how you know if it's bad news how we overcome it and, and get back to where everybody wants to be. But trust, I'd say, is, you know, the thing that you have to work very hard to, to maintain with people. It's always so helpful when somebody else can look in and see characteristics in yourself that maybe sometimes, you know, we blind ourselves to our own strengths and weaknesses and to let others around us kind of call that out can be really powerful. Uh, and encouraging us to then step into those roles. Yeah, the arena is difficult. And one thing that I think is very important for elected people to to convey is I mean, we're just ordinary people. That um, for calling or out of encouragement um, have sought to, you know, for a season to, to serve and try to Help our the the group that uh, our constituents in our dis house district or senate districts to to improve and improve the state of Oklahoma. But we're very fallible. Uh, we make mistakes and um, we misread things and uh, things don't turn out just the way that we think that they will. And and that requires you to come back the next year and adjust things. Yeah. So um, sometimes I think society puts their elected up on a pretty high pedestal and there should be high expectations and there should be a high level of accountability. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want, want the accountability, don't run for office. It's good. 
Um, there's just a lot of, uh, you live in a glass house. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's what you're signing up to do. But um, once again, it kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's about keeping, maintaining trust of the people and, and so you can be effective, so you can come together. And it's also about bringing people together and being able to move, move down the road together because yeah. our government structure is not where one person can do whatever they want to do. Right. There's a separation of power between the legislature, the executive, and the judicial. And each one has a check on each other. Mm-hmm. And even within the legislature where I serve, we have to be able to, in the House, there's 101 of us, and we've got to find at least 51 that can agree to an approach on an issue and move it to the Senate. And the Senate um, determines, you know, if they want to advance it, they've got to bring a majority of theirs uh, to you know, move it on to the governor. And then if the governor doesn't like it, veto and it's over, you know. So the, um, and when we get out of, when we get outside of our boundaries, um, outside the constitutional boundaries, the courts can step in and and be the referee, so to speak. And, and, and so it's a good, it's a good design. It's, it's, it can be frustrating for those who serve. And I know it can be frustrating, uh, to those who just live in the state or live in the nation and when things don't move as fast as they would like them to see. But, but there is a really good process to, to make sure the opposite doesn't happen. And that is something, uh, that could be very detrimental easily gets, gets accomplished. So, so was it a kind of a natural next step to pursue state office? I think probably the service at that level uh, certainly aided and helped helped me uh, understand issues and, and process to, to be effective at the at at the state arena. It's certainly a larger arena, a higher arena. But um, but once again, you know, it's never been. Uh, you know, I never thought about pursuing it individually. It was. I was very, very content and happy, and to to have served at the municipal level, and you know somebody else can come in and car- you know carry the torch. But um, I, so from a you know purely political standpoint, maybe it is the you know a natural thing to consider, but um, it doesn't mean you should do it. So it's a totally different process to get there. The elections are are very sophisticated. Um, you're covering a much larger geography. Um, I basically have all or part of four counties in my house district. That's a lot of geography to cover. And um, it's, it's and meeting that many people spread out over four counties. I mean, it's, it's hard to build that real close relationship that you, you could in a individual. Uh, community, so it has its it has its separate challenges, um, but you you are able to uh, effectuate uh, potentially a greater change um, in that arena. But it does take a lot of it, it takes it takes leadership to at that level and and uh, 
consensus and coalition and, and a willingness to want to work together and a willingness to want to see things uh, get better. One of my favorite uh, leadership authors is J. Robert Clinton, and he talks a lot about how leadership is developed in phases and stages, and there's none more vital and critical than the development of the inner life of the leader, which he says the most important thing there is character. Looking back on your life and experiences, what were the really important moments or lessons or, or mentors that really helped speak into and, and shape that inner character that you have that are significant to your leadership today? Well, I think for me, it, it certainly started with my my mother and my father. Mm-hmm. Uh, they played such a significant role in my life in in teaching me values and and uh, the value of of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say my church had a uh, my faith has had a lot of, uh, to do with molding um, what is ideal and what is best um, and in certainly in terms of conduct and and uh, and putting others before before yourself mm-hmm. um, I've even though I come from a very small small community uh, small communities are very rich in in relationships and uh, and with people I'd say my friends that I grew up with played a big role in in uh, oh and just how you how you treat others and how you approach life as well and and um, we have a very diverse community where I live um, you have all kinds of ethnic ethnic uh, diversity mm-hmm. and you know growing up we're just we're kids and we're all friends and you know we we play at everybody's house and we go play basketball at all over the all over the the town at different parks and whatnot and and you know it's it's the thing that we have a tendency to forget as we we get older in life and our our lives become more complex with you know starting a family and marriage and pressures of you know of employment mm-hmm. is uh, you know we often lose uh, relationships with people mm-hmm. and that's um, you know that's so very important it's it's the it's the humanity that matters mm-hmm. and it's it's it all boils down to people whether you're in business or you're in public service it's ultimately you're there to to consider what's best for the for the people mm-hmm. individually and whole as a whole. And I think that's often, I think just naturally that's, that's difficult uh, for all of us as we go down the path of life. It's so easy when we're children. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but you know, we kind of lose that. And I, I think we always have to be mindful not to, and always remember it's not about, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's it's about all of us, mm-hmm. and and certainly for the elected, it's about the people you represent, and not your own ideas. Yeah. Um, you know, 
principles can help, and they will. Um, you want to represent and conduct yourself in an in a honorable way for your constituents, but um, the best the best leaders and the best representatives, in my opinion, they listen to the people that they represent, and they they set aside what they naturally think might be the best best approach, and and they listen mm-hmm. and, and try to f- and and you know try to come up with a policy that works everywhere. Yeah. The emphasis you place on on relationships, building relationships, just being good at talking to and listening to people is definitely something that I see marking your leadership. It makes sense to hear some of that of the be such an important uh, emphasis as you look back on your life and and formation as a leader because I can see that you are in a very unique place. Uh, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, in, in just my view, is one of the more unique roles in the state capitol uh, and in our, in our policymaking arena. Your personal leadership, Charles McCall, but then the Speaker itself, you have a, a responsibility to lead a majority caucus, navigate building consensus among the majority um, uh, caucus in the House. You you build relationships and you work with the leadership and the members of the minority caucus. You also sit in a position of leading the whole House of Representatives, working to build a culture across the whole House. Add to that being the lead negotiator with the state Senate, with the executive branch. There, there's so many dynamics to the role of Speaker of the House. What does it take? What is the important qualities of being an effective speaker in the House of Representatives? And let's set, you know, emergencies aside or pandemics aside, just mm-hmm. in normal times, if there is any such thing. <laughs> um, what, are, what are the important qualities to being an effective speaker? Well, that's a great question. Um, I, th- I think what ultimately is the what you have to do to be successful at the job is number one realize that you can, the, the speaker only um, is effective and viewed in a positive light if the if the house is mm-hmm. and the caucus is and as the house speaker uh, it is the it is the majority caucus that uh, uh, determines puts me in that office um, I do I do represent the as the speaker, the entire House of Representatives, and that includes the, you know, the members of the minority caucus that are in the House, and you know, I want to be accessible to them and hear their concerns. And even though, uh, even though none of them will vote vote for me uh, up to this point, although they they've got one more chance coming up. <laughs> in all seriousness, seriousness, though, they have the they have the right to put forth their own candidate too, but. Um, but when these elections are over, you've just got to come together and you got to do, you got to listen. You got to find out where people are. When we come off the election cycle, every two years in the House of Representatives, we have been on those doorsteps, uh, talk, you know, listening to people and talking with them about their concerns. And the great thing about the House of Representatives, although a two-year election cycle, it, it keeps you in that campaign mode, that communication mm-hmm. mode all the time, which is a that is a that is a good thing. That mm-hmm. is a positive. 
um, attribute, um, and that is unique to the House of Representatives. The Senate's on a four-year election cycle as well as the executive. Mm-hmm. But you know, we come back together, and we we you know we have to we have to talk about those things and find out where. Even though we represent in the House thirty-seven thousand people out of roughly just under four million people statewide, there's a hundred and one of us, um, and we come back and we find out you know what the issues are that people are most concerned about. So you've you've got to be willing to listen. Um, you've got to be you've got to be willing to um, um, try to bring you've got to bring people together, even if it's the majority caucus. There's seventy-seven members currently of the House Republican caucus. That's big. Yeah. And there is a diversity of there is a diversity of opinion on how you solve a particular issue. Mm-hmm. Lots of different paths to a solution. And you've got to find and even the minority caucus, um, you know, we want, I want to hear what what their thoughts are on that, too. And um, we get we get good ideas out of everybody mm-hmm. um, in the House. But at the end of the day, you've got to be able to bring people together and um, to get something done. And that's just by that's that's how the system is designed. And to be effective as a speaker, I'd say that's pretty important. Um, there's certainly times that uh, you have to, to the speaker also um, has administrative responsibilities for the House of Representatives as a as an institution. You know, there's about 185 employees of the House of Representatives, and it's not my job to manage them, manage that on a day-to-day basis. But there are uh, setting budgets and and uh, creating accountability, and those things are are part of it too. And it's really a team approach. Mm-hmm. And if if you think you if you really think that you have all the answers and um, you're going to just tell people what to do and they're going to line up and do it, mm-hmm. you know that just it doesn't work and that's that's the wrong approach yeah. um, to being being a leader as the speaker of the house. Well, and I go back to your comment earlier. You know, crisis will create either uh, synergy or chaos. And my, uh, that is so true. I also think that leadership is what is what determines which one it will be. I think, and the House agrees that what people really want to see out of their elected officials, they they want to. Of course, they, you know, a diversity of opinion and idea leads to better policy, right? Than just one person's idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but they want us. They want. They want the the system. They want their government to be functional, mm-hmm. not dysfunctional. And where um, and leaders have to. And I, you know, I I want to give credit to everybody in the House of Representatives. Um, but in order for things to be functional, everybody has to work at that. Mm-hmm. It's not just because. Two years ago, sat down with the, in, the new incoming minority leader Emily Virgin from from Norman, who's done a who's who's been a strong leader in my opinion, uh, and, I want, and I'm happy to compliment her publicly anytime. I told Emily, "Listen, we we have got to restore civility 
mm-hmm. um, to the House of Representatives, and and uh, we've got to be a, a functional body, not a dysfunctional body. Um, anybody can be dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. That's easy. Mm-hmm. That takes no, that takes no effort at all to be mm-hmm. dysfunctional. It takes a great deal of effort and focus and um, on part of all 101 members of the House of Representatives for us to have a, a le- level of uh, functionality and civility that we can we can disagree and we can debate on an issue and how to solve the problem. But at the end of the day, we ought to be able to walk out of that building um, respectful of one another, uh, friends with one another, and go back to our districts, and they be proud of the way that we conducted ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's what we'll continue to try to, to accomplish uh, in the House. I think that's the expectation. That's the standard. I'm happy in the 57th we were able to uh, accomplish that. But once again, it goes back to there's got to be a willingness mm-hmm. and leadership, but it has to it has to be something that's important to every elected official. And when it is, it doesn't matter what the crisis is. We'll get through it. Yeah. Um, when there's a vacuum there of that, then we really, we really have, a, we stumble and we're ineffective. Yeah. Is there anything in particular that kind of gives you hope for that, that uh, increasing civility and uh, in, in, in the Oklahoma policymaking arena? Yeah, I've, I've, I enjoy, I've really enjoyed um, serving in the, the Oklahoma legislature because I, I think the people are good people that are elected. You know, there's, um, you know, there's an old saying, you can pick your friends but not your family. And when it comes to the state legislature, your family are those who – the people elect and send and send to the capital, and you 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 better have the attitude. I, I'm gonna. I'm, we've got to work together, and uh, you bet. You best understand that your ideas can can differ. Um, we're everybody that's elective is a bit of a class president, you know, and in back in their district, that's their that's who they want uh, representing them. So, you know, you you've. There's got to be a a willingness and a willingness on a daily basis to, no matter what happens, whether it's an election year or a non-election year, whether state revenues and the economy are strong or whether whether they're not, um, to come in there and, and try to make it a better situation. Yeah. It's not just that everybody has a different point of view or different perspective and we need to listen to them and hear them because they're valid but they're valuable and our differences those different backgrounds and, and skills and principles there's value to them we can remember that everybody has a life and an experience that's shaped it that's something i get to see happen on a daily basis in the state capitol i, I watch it in your leadership i watch it in the house and it doesn't always get the press it deserves That's our purpose for having these conversations is for more people to see and to hear uh, who you are and who the other members of our of our policymaking community are doing this work because it is possible. A better future is possible. And I I appreciate your leadership and leading us forward as a state to accomplish better. 
Joe, I appreciate it. It's great to be with you today. And, you know, and I, as, as long as everybody just focuses on loving one another, everything else will, will take care of itself. Thank you for listening to The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Oklahoma Capital Culture is a nonprofit organization shaping a culture of civility, integrity, and servant leadership among policymakers through nonpolitical and nonpartisan engagement. Learn more about Oklahoma Capital Culture and how you can help shape the leadership culture at www.capitalculture.com. Original music heard on The Leaders We Need, provided by Scott Allen Matthews at mypodcastmusic.com. When Leaders Matter, How Civility, Integrity, and the Leaders We Need are Possible by Dr. Joel W. Harder. Forward, written by Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt. In When Leaders Matter, Chaplain Joel Harder presents a three-step approach to engage leaders and restore the civility we need in our politics while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. When that happens, leaders will be able to work and inspire our communities, states, and nation to address the real problems we are facing and navigate a way forward that will benefit all of us. When Leaders Matter, how civility, integrity, and the leaders we need are possible. Available now on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and BarnesandNoble.com.